Welcome to the UCM. We're your tour guides, Zan Peters and Joe Semino. And we're going to be taking you through our humble little museum's collection. The exhibits may or may not be real, but the stories sure are. Enjoy your visit today at the Uncanny County Museum. So, you know, moving is the most stressful thing on earth. And you just ask every question about why do I bother doing anything? What is the point of any of this? Like, what is, is there any point to life even? Like, I have my entire existence packed in my Subaru. (laughs) You know, I pull into boston i park my car on the street i'm sleeping by the window peeking out every few hours to see if like you know do i did i park wrong am i going to get towed is someone going to see that my car is packed to the brim uh with basically everything i hold dear and Mm. are they going to try to take it so i go back out uh, in the morning, I am, you know, getting ready. Today's the big day. We're going to move into our new apartment. Ooh. And this guy is just hanging out in, uh, in between, like he does, he has one of those doors that it's like, he has, his door swings in and a screen door swings out, you know, one of those deals. And he's hanging out in that little that that special liminoidal space in between them, right? You know. Okay. That that uh, that that space that is neither here nor there, and and he's rubbing his arms. I assume with lotion, but <laughs> okay. who knows? Just this old man. Yeah. And just to be polite, I'm like, "Hi, how are you?" And he's like, "Fucking bored." <laughs> And I really think that's the moment where I fell in love with Boston. Yeah, welcome to the Northeast. Thank you. That's, that's pretty much how it goes. You know, <laughs> it's, it's wild, the change of geography. Like, now here I am, I'm in Brookline, and, you know, you can't, there's not really, it's very limited what you can and should do right now. Like, but I do live around three different bagel stores, like, within very quick walking distance 
There's a bunch of pizza places. It's really kind of crazy how <laughs> I re it's it, it I sound like, you know, someone who's never, you know, lived in a city before, but really it is uh I'm I'm so amazed by the little things. Yeah. Yeah, it's different. Different vibe than uh, you know, coastal Florida, right? <laughs> yeah, I mean, well, you know, Florida, it's not like Florida's not, you know, it's it's not like Florida has nothing going on, but like Sure, sure. It's it, I've never really lived in like a big American city and it's starting to sink mm. in. Oh god, I live here now, you know. You're one of the oldest ones too. Yeah. City's pretty, you know, it's one of the first. Mm -hmm. So do it that which you will. You know what's interesting? My mom was telling me that there's like a, there's a, a really big Italian community in Boston. Yeah, I mean, well, you throw a rock and you hit an Italian restaurant. Yeah, it's wild though, because I wouldn't have thought that. I don't, I mean, I, mean, I don't I know why. It's, it's because... famous for its Irish. Yeah, Irish. that's always what I think of Boston. I think Irish yeah no well English you know i'm here like here in brookline like it's there's clearly a very big thriving jewish community too mm. which is you know I, I i grew up in florida i you know i i grew up with that being a part of the cultural landscape but like you know you're walking around and you pass just a store like two different stores one is like kind of traditional Judaica and then you go to another one and it's the artsy Judaica store Ooh, and you're like okay and then you pass a kosher deli and you're just like okay there's enough people here to support all of these businesses and it's kind of wild interesting how's the how's the bread bin or the baked goods oh amazing What's, uh yeah yeah we went uh we got some stuff from this uh crepery Ooh. The other morning, it was okay. amazing. Got savory crepes and then a sweet crepe. Ooh, nice. Yes. Oh, my gosh. Those thin, soft boys. Oh, my God. Ooh. My sister's been really into making crepes. Yeah. It's been her new thing. They're pretty good. Oh. I'm not against it. It's pretty good. You know, thin pancake, put some fruit, get some Nutella in that bad boy. Mm -hmm. It's delicious. How do you think it compares to uh, our baked goods here, though? What's the, what's the rating? Well, I mean... I, I don't mean to brag, but the as far as bakeries located inside of a museum uh, in Uncanny Valley, I would like to say the Uncanny County Museum has one of the best bakeries. Oh, for sure. I think so, too. I mean, I'm definitely enjoying my full baguette in front of me right now. Yes, yes. Because are you really, are you really a bread lover if you don't just eat a full loaf of bread and then use the other loaf that you presumably buy for other things such as a sandwich when i was growing up when i went shopping with my parents if we went to the grocery store we get like you know that 99 cent fresh baguette from the albertsons and then later Publix, you know bakery or whatever and you know i would just eat one of those and yes time it took I, for us to shop i did that too i did that same thing just not at a Publix. <laughs> <laughs> I literally was the same kid. It was like that and sliced cheese. Oh, God. Yeah. yeah. You know, you're just like, mom, be like, oh, you know what? Let me get two pieces out. And mm -hmm. then they give it to you. And that was like, oh, oh, my gosh. Yeah. I mean, I'm 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 going ham on these croissants right now. I mean, I, I don't Ooh. I don't eat ham, but I am eating these croissants right now. 
Uh. Well, see, I don't need, I mean, I guess I really don't need ham either. But yeah, croissants are good though. I personally like them plain. Maybe get some cream in there. You if know, it's done yeah, right. I like I I feel like the there came a point when I stopped like wanting chocolate croissants all the time. And I just like I love whatever it is that I don't know what it is, that texture, that feeling. There's a very specific mm. feeling in your jaw when you bite into a croissant that yeah. is so blissful. What is it? What is it about biting into a croissant that's so good? I think for me, texture in food is very important. And absolutely, that's where I become such a bread snob. I agree 100%. It's all in the texture for bread, for sure. Yeah, I mean, okay, so like bagel texture is so much of everything to me. I mean, okay, so you're... Your family's from the Northeast. My family is originally from the Northeast. Like, do they have bagel opinions? Because, oh man, do my parents have bagel opinions. So here's the thing. My parents don't... uh, My dad has more bagel opinions than my mom because my mom's originally from Europe. But he likes the Jersey bagels down here. They're great. Mm -hmm. But... No, it's like depending on the shop. For example, if it was like a local grocery store or a bakery bagel, it's going to be always better than like Dunkin' Donuts. Mm-hmm. My dad also just doesn't like Dunkin' Donuts. <laughs> but they're not too... It's My, my, my dad was weird because like growing up, it was always like he would eat a uh, plain bagel or a um, blueberry bagel. That was it because he's very picky. Huh. I, I was obsessed with sesame seed bagels and poppy seed bagels. In fact, I still am. And having tried bagels from New York, New Jersey, and Philadelphia, I I will digress and say that New York bagels are the best that I've had. However, I still do like New Jersey bagels down south. Even yeah. my one friend here will argue that North Jersey bagels are better than South Jersey bagels. I don't know. That sounds like something my mom would say. I mean, yeah. my mom being from Tenafly, she worked in a bagel mm. store growing up. There's that whole rivalry between North Jersey and New York City going on at that time. Oh, yeah. And, you know, the big thing with New York is they've got the best water. So they, yeah. got, they got, you know, this they, metal. They, they got that great uh, that great bagel, that great pizza crust. The bread is supposed to be so great because of their the mineral contents of their water or whatever. I heard a thing that it's because of there's like metals in the water that makes it taste so good. Mm-hmm. It's like some conspiracy I was listening to. Oh um, yeah, I mean, is it is it like a the the fluoride is mind control? No, it was that there's like higher concentrations of like metals and minerals in New York water, and that's why bagels and bread taste so much better. And you know what? If it's true, great because it's really good. <laughs> and that's what causes the mind control. Yeah, I mean the you know the fluoride's a secondary, of course. Yeah, that's 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 how you get all those all those brainwashed liberals in New York. Yeah, I guess. <laughs> apparently, apparently, New Jersey doesn't have fluoride though, oh. so that's fun. Yeah. We're fluoride free over here, so I'm not my control. So, Joe, something's got to be turning the frogs gay. Something. There's something in the water. Apparently, yeah, something must be in the water, you know. Mm-hmm. But it's uh. Whatever they're doing in New York, making some good bagels. Yeah, and baked goods if in nothing general. else. I mean, I mean, yeah, because yeah, it is. They, 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 it is truly spectacular the the baking culture that surrounds that city. Yeah, and I mean, also as as a 
as a city that is one of the most diverse places on Earth. Oh, for sure. You have, you know, I mean, it's been pointed out a million times that pizza in New York is so different, but still, you know, so unique and so good compared to Italian pizza, like a traditional Italian pizza and, and the, the cultural exchange that you have going back and forth there. Mm-hmm. It's somehow very similar, I feel like, just depending on where in Italy you're getting your pizza. Mm-hmm. But like, it's its own, yeah, it's its own take on it and it's delicious. And I feel, okay, so like I have strong pizza opinions because being Italian American. Yeah. But for me, New York pizza is very, very good. Jersey pizza is very, very good. Philadelphia pizza is okay. I don't know what it's like in Boston, but that's about it for me. Everywhere else, it drops off very quickly. Oh, wow. I thought, okay, okay. I thought you were going to say something more controversial. I thought you were building to something like, but Chicago (laughs) style, that is the best. Okay, all right. Deep, (laughs) no. Deep dish is like a cake. I don't know. I don't know how I feel about it. I guess you could make an argument that it is a savory pie. Yeah, it kind of is. And like, you know cool but that's not for me <laughs> i want my thin crust pizza i want you know i want the full mini pizza for myself and i get a little bit of that crunch in there it's delicious now that i'm back in the states anytime i try to tell a story about us in europe it sounds like the most pretentious thing on earth so i am that person. yes yes welcome to the study abroad i the study abroad experience after who says well you know in it, when when we were living in Florence, we would try a different pizza place every Sunday. We called it Pizza <laughs> Sunday, which oh, is oh my god, yeah, which, you know, which is a thing that you and I participated in, and at the mm-hmm. time seemed so fun. And when I talk about it now, it just seems like everybody's like, "Shut the hell up!" Yeah, there was always the joke that it'd be like, "Oh, when you you know, for me." When I went when I went abroad, came home and then went back abroad, it was just like, oh, you were drinking the limoncello in Naples while you hung out with all these adults smoking cigarettes and such. And I was like, I mean, part of that might be true. Yeah. Part of it's not. But yeah, I think it's just, you know, coming back to the States after being in Europe, you're just your your friends and family are obligated to roast you. And I think it's fine. Oh, yeah. No, the drummer in my band would fucking roast me all the time. (laughs) because <laughs> i'd come back and he's like oh nice shirt and he'd be like where'd you get it and then i'm about to say italy and he's like italy i'm like you yeah. like, oh, could you tell this fabric was woven in florence itself uh, yeah it's like it's obnoxious we, we are truly obnoxious art students it is true it's the truth yeah got to draw from the david himself as it goes mm-hmm, but mm-hmm. you know oh as really? we eat pizza oh, every sunday Yes, but <laughs> okay. I mean, but does your? I mean, as okay as Italian Americans, I assume your family has like. Do, do you have breads for the for the holidays? Do you have breads specifically? So your family being Sardinian, do they mm-hmm. uh, have a specific regional bread? Like you know, when we were in Tuscany, the bread was not salted. So the, the uh, intention yeah. being, the, the idea being that you're using the bread to clean your plate mm-hmm. uh, of, of pasta sauce, and that is supposed to provide the flavor. So yes. what is, what's, uh, what's sardo bread like? So it's very different. First of all, there's salt. 
Okay. There's salt. That's the main dip. There is salt in the bread. You are a sea people. That we are, yeah, there are sea people on an island, so mm-hmm. that definitely influences it. It's, it's very different. Sar- Sardinian bread is very different than I think mainland uh, Italian breads are, depending yeah. on some. But it's very. Some of them are very similar to pita. So I break it. I break it down into three different breads that I personally really enjoy okay. because, like, you're obviously going to be able to find like ciabatta, and you're going to be able to find different Tuscan style loaves without salt. People do make it, and it's popular. But um, the main cultural ones that existed, so there's the three types. There's carazao, which is a really, really thin flatbread mm-hmm. that's usually put, you put um, oil and salt, uh, olive oil and salt on it, and then you can kind of break it apart and eat it, and it's the best thing ever. It's mm-hmm. my personal favorite. There's cuoqui or cocoetti, which are these, the cocoetti, the little um, loaves of bread that are almost like the size of your palm, Ooh. and they have spikes on them they're they're like the spiky bread yeah that was that spiky bread i brought y'all oh yeah 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 and it's that i grew up on that that was like when my family would come visit from italy and that's what i recommend i asked to bring so it would be like yeah if they would be like oh do you want anything i'd be like yeah cocoetti a lot of (laughs) obviously not like that but yeah you know and that's my favorite one and that's a very um very specific like cultural bread and it's used a lot like during easter time so pasqua for them and that's kind of when it's made the most, but they usually make it like year round and you could just go into a bakery and buy it. And the other bread, which is more in the, it's located like, um, it was like made in the center of Sardinia, like that region in the center. Yeah. Uh, it's called spianata bread. Mm-hmm. And that's made the same way as Carazao, except it uses yeast. So it almost okay. blows up a bit and it cre- it's basically like pita bread. Okay. It's like a softer pita bread that they use. And it's also very good. It's personally not my favorite, but it's great. I mean, all the bread is good, mm-hmm. the way I see it. And, like, it was funny because, like, living in Tuscany and then going over to Sardinia for a bit and staying there, I was so excited because there was salt in the bread. And I love, <laughs> I love, I love Tuscan bread, but I complain so much because I just want to be able to taste the flavor. In fact, that I actually used to buy at the store, I'd buy the, like, um, semolina bread, too. Yeah. One that was made with that, or like ciabatta, because it always had salt in it, and I would use that to eat. I mean, the the crazy thing is, it's like, I mean, bread is so, it seems universally loved across so many cultures, and I mean, I think that's sort of the interesting thing is there's always something more to discover. The funny thing about ciabatta is it's a fairly recent bread invention. Yeah, like I think it was invented in like twentieth century, like that recent. Oh. Really? Yeah. Um, huh. Ciabatta meaning slipper. And, you know, they're yeah. just so light. And so the good, sort of challenge was like to see how much water you could get into the dough. Mm. Um, and, you know, that is just what makes it, you know, just those huge air pockets in it, that crunch, that beautiful crust. It is. Oh, God, I want some right now. And Yeah, I want to go make some. <laughs> Can we order? Do they have it here? You think? Oh, of course they do. They're right here in our uh, our uh, ciabatta alcove, right here. Oh, I sweet! Think... Yeah, you know what? Let's let's grab one. Let's grab a loaf. Yes, please. Oh my god. Ugh. I mean, <laughs> it's almost impossible to pick a favorite bread, but ciabatta is such a good go-to. Oh yeah. I think you know the thing about having an exhibit on bread. The tough thing about bread is in the context of a museum, the, the, the risk you run is that 
bread is so alive culturally mm. and quite literally with with, uh, yeah. with yeast with the plants that are used to make it um the people that eat it it gives us life and yeah. when you when something enter, enters the museological context a lot of the times it dies in a way mm-hmm. there's something about the museum that renders an object inert for a couple of reasons i mean this can work to the advantage of a museum if you want to have an exhibit on an oppressive regime or uh, a, uh, a a a part of history where you are trying to nullify the power of something, you know this is this is very useful. This is what we're talking about doing with you know Confederate monuments in the United States. Right. We, we want to those things to culturally die, and then we can study them in the museum. Mm-hmm. Bread is has been around for so long, but is always changing and will probably continue to do so because you know it seems pretty natural that humans want to grind stuff up and make (laughs) bread out of it (laughs) yeah i mean now with all the sourdough starters right oh yeah especially you know in quarantine and stuff everybody is yeah everybody's rediscovering bread which i think is so beautiful like i don't even want to make fun of it no i mean it's it became one of my leading passions now Due to, you know, when you showed me how to bake bread and now I, I continue to do so in my home and have my own techniques that I've developed for myself, learning from you and also applying more ones that I learned from my family. And now it's mm-hmm. just a hobby. Like I'm the bread yeah. maker in <laughs> my house. I'm the one who does it all the well, time because I enjoy fu- it's it. It's funny because like I started making bread really when I was in Australia. Oh, really? And I was not super into the bread I would get at the grocery store. Mm. there were no bagels because that just was not really a thing i mean there was good bread to be found there were bakeries there were places that would have it but you know i wanted i desperately wanted to have like an american style pizza with you know with chewy crust without the cracker crust that they do in australia i I wanted challah. I I wanted all these things that I would. I was having a harder time finding where I was living, where you know everything was pretty limited. And making bread is very intimidating. Yes. uh, At first, I think so. You think I can't possibly make this. This is so many steps. It requires a lot of patience. It does. There is a there is a learning curve, and there's kind of a break in time on your own. And I mean, one, one thought I always have with bread is it seems to be when you when you look at everything that goes into making bread, it does seem like such a component of. Of civilization that you mm. need so many things to make bread, it's like a car, you know, when you look at a car, it is a thing that is possible to be built. But there is so much, there's so many, um, I mean, maybe the car is a little extreme, but like there are so many parts and things that have to be mined, refined, manufactured, assembled before you can have this thing. Like, yeah, the, I, 
it, it seems boggling that like in all of the steps that, you know, over the centuries have that have been perfected into baking, you know, there are very specific steps to baking, unlike a lot of cooking. Right. Where you're like, how did anyone figure this out? <laughs> that if we cultivated this one type of grass and then we dried it out and ground it up and refined it and then fermented it and baked it that it would turn into food it seems so counterintuitive and yet it seems to happen pretty independently in you know and pretty consistently throughout history although it would it would probably look different to us through different states yeah for sure yeah i mean it's crazy to me and that's why i'm I'm so interested in bread for a couple of reasons. One, because it tastes amazing and it's so fun to make. Yes. Two, just because historically it's been around for quite literally ever, or at least, you know, since we settled down, right? Since civilization. Yeah, it is very it is very much a food that can kind of it it requires a certain amount of settlement, of permanent settlement before you can start making bread. Yeah, you can't be on the move and making bread. I don't at least not that Well, we'll 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 get to that in a moment. Oh yeah, true, true, true. But with, yeah, the history that comes with it is very fascinating to me. The part, like, for, I talk with my mom and, and family members overseas a lot about this, too, with Sardinian bread, is, like, for Carazao, it's made without yeast. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, a lot of bread, too, especially Italian styles of bread making, comes from more or less the peasant culture of the time. Yeah. Being that a lot of it's so old, and for, for Sardinians, it's a lot more scavenging-based. And so, you know, you use what you have to make something that you can eat, and then it turns into, like, a delicacy. And so now the bread becomes normalized, but at the time, it, it could, you could argue that it's just because it didn't have any. Or that it might not have even been possible at the time. I mean, that, that's the amazing thing about so many, like, peasant dishes that, you know, become so beloved, you know, everywhere. Mm-hmm. Uh, like, oxtail soup in France. Lampardotto. Yeah. Lampardotto in Tuscany is a yeah. huge one. I mean, there's... That is such a big part of these culinary traditions. I mean, look at yeah. lobster. Yeah, true. Um, but I mean, this is this is very similar to the uh, the the concept of matzah. Mm, yeah, actually, exactly. Yeah, in uh, and and uh, here have some have some uh, matzah. Oh, don't mind if I do. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> very dry. Don't pretend. Mm, yeah. I'm just gonna don't get some tra- water don't here. try to flatter me. Don't just don't. <sighs> Very dry. I I like, we it's, know. It's dry. It's, we know. It's dry, but I, I like matzah. I do like it. Yeah. No. No. I I I'm I'm coming down too hard <laughs> on it. It and I mean it really <laughs> is a <laughs> it is a miraculous uh cultural thing. I yeah. Think, where you know the the story being that uh, as uh, the Jews are fleeing Egypt, they don't have time to let their bread rise, so uh, mm. they must make. They, they they just bake their their bread and uh or they they basically break tack they bake tack and um mm. they leave with it and the interesting thing is it really is a the the cracker form of matzah is uh an Ashkenazi version of it if you are coming oh. from a Sephardic tradition matzah can be quite pliable it you know would kind of resemble pita bread without the pocket you know it has to be but in both cases you know it has to be made under very strict 
uh, guidelines. You have to make it very quickly. Um, it is, it, you are really supposed to, you are, uh, w w as with most traditions in Passover and what is so interesting about it as a holiday um, and why those traditions are still observed is you are supposed to relive that flight. And you are, yeah. it, is, it is so based on memory. Um, mm -hmm. which is what, you know, makes it, makes it so interesting to me as a holiday that it explores so deeply its own ideological origins where um, not a lot of holidays do that, you know, where, where, where everything is so literal. Um, yeah. As, as, you, uh, as, as you reenact with your family, you know, over dinner, basically, the flight from Egypt. And it is, uh, it, it's, it's quite amazing, you know, for, and it, it seems a, a quite humble bread. And I think it is meant to be if it is, you know, being made by slaves, uh, literally on the run. Mm -hmm. And yeah, yeah. I mean, the, the interesting thing being, you know, bread really goes back in ancient history as, you know, very likely beginning in ancient Egypt. You know, there, there's a couple different theories on, you know, the progression of bread. And this is one Ooh. thing I find quite interesting because, okay, with all of those steps needed to make bread, you want right. to believe that there was some sort of progression. And this is, the, this is the interesting thing is, like, I truly believe so many things must have happened by accident. Oh, yeah. Like, the, the idea of us cultivating yeast, I think fermentation probably would have been discovered first as a means to make alcohol right for ancient peoples and <laughs> you know they probably also discovered ground wheat could you know be used to ferment and make yeast and then at some point some absolute genius let's be honest threw it in an mm. oven and now we have this amazing food oh yeah no it's it's pretty wild i mean i think it definitely plays into the you know, what we'll always say in art school with the happy accidents that happen yeah. by allowing yourself to be open to those things. And I do truly believe it does happen. I mean, that's why I always liked cooking so much because mm -hmm. I feel like you could just, you quite literally could throw a bunch of stuff in a pan mm -hmm. and cook it in, in cooking. And it, you know, it might taste good or it might taste terrible, but it's all experimentation. And I mean, and if you, if you were back in time, you might die. You might die. And you know what? Then they take observations of those who die and they don't include those. Yes. Right? Yes, we learned we had to cook chicken all the way through, but we didn't yeah, have to do that yeah. for other animals. That's true. That's true. You know, we got that appendix for red meat for a reason. Well, also like with mushrooms, I feel like mushrooms oh, are always yeah. a gamble. Imagine, I mean, imagine all the types of nuts that like have to be cooked oh in gosh. a very specific way. Otherwise they're poisonous. Think about like fugu fish and Japan. Oh, yeah. The, all, all of, all of the stuff that had to have been trial and error because people in the past were starving. You know? Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, I would be the worst forager, I feel like. <laughs> you don't feel <laughs> like feel you're like built would... for foraging? I don't think so, because I feel like I'm really confident in it, but I feel like I'm going to make a mistake. I was just having this conversation with my parents about it, and we were talking about mushrooms, because I was like, oh, man, I wish we lived in the forest so I could, like, you know, go out and, and cultivate mushrooms and have it for, like, pizza and other things, because, like, that's what my family in Sardinia does, because yeah. they know. I don't know. And so my parents are like, <laughs> 
no, I that's too risky. And I was like, why? It's like, because like there's a high percent you end up poisoning yourself or us. And I was like, yeah, that's true. Oh, no, because I'll be like, oh, I can read the, you know, I'm going to have a book. I'll read the book mm. and I'll know everything about plants. Yeah. But then again, if you look back in time, there's no book. Yeah. So people just ate whatever and hope to God you don't die. Well, you know, that's, that's an, it's interesting you bring that up. So like, if we go back to the bagel, which, mm. um, the bagel has kind of mysterious, I shouldn't say mysterious, but it has unclear origins because there oh, is a, a mystery. story that, um, that people like to tell that it is, I mean, the, the word and everything for it, it, uh, comes from an Austrian word meaning stirrup. Ooh. Okay. Um, and was sort of meant to uh, it, it was it was kind of meant as a uh, a celebration of basically baking being legalized in in Krakow in Poland. Oh, interesting. Yeah. And um, this is this is the story that people usually like to tell about the bagel that, um, you know, it's it's Polish origins and, um, you know, that it was it was kind of a political thing because the uh the, the this was the birth of the baking guild there um mm. jews were finally allowed to bake within the city walls it, it's kind of an interesting uh uh interesting moment in history uh as far as like a ring of bread with a hole in the center that is something that you know very possibly existed in antiquity and you know it seems like the egyptians had a version of this if you'll uh, turn to the side over here, I have a uh, framed oh, okay. James Gurney painting of uh, oh. from Dinotopia of a man selling bagels uh, off the spikes of a Kentrosaurus. Oh, I love that. I just think it's nice. Anyways, so the but and this this is a fascinating alternative I've heard to the story. There is also the possibility because, you know, a, a, a proper bagel is boiled. Okay, yeah. Which is different um, for, uh, for bread, you know. Uh, you boil yeah. it before you bake it. And this is a big thing for me with, like, I will turn into such a bagel snob if someone tries to sell you round bread that is not boiled, then it is just Don't taste the same. To me, that is just round bread. That is it's not round bread. Yeah, it's round bread. Yeah, no, it's, it's not a bagel. If you don't boil it, it's not a bagel. That's well, aren't you, like, supposed to do that with pretzels, too? yeah. Yeah, it's not that that they're the same at all, but just in general, like I found that fascinating because I was learning how to make pretzels. I haven't tried yet. And I was like, oh, I have to boil. Okay, yeah, I didn't know that. But anyway, round bread. Yes. So uh, the even though the um, the 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 Krakow bagel uh, being a product of the 1683 Battle of Vienna, Mm. that that story of it, you know, could quite possibly very possibly not be real oh that uh the king allowing the production of uh of bread within the city walls you know that this this whole political movement that is possible that this is not actually the origin of the bagel the alternative is uh that the bagel was meant as travel food which which it is very possible that makes sense. due to its shape it is easy to transport you could sort of picture how someone can put them on a string Mm-hmm. You know, for for Jews, um, there are lots of rules about eating and uh, cleanliness. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, this is one of the things that allows Jews in Europe to, you know, survive relatively untouched by a lot of the plagues in Europe because of this. Right. 
Um, and one of the rules was before you eat bread, you're supposed to, you know, have a ritual cleaning. Oh, interesting. But, and oh. uh, th this, this was because of, th th there was a problem. There was a problem because if you were traveling in the countryside, it was difficult to keep kosher while you were traveling because you could very easily get typhus from the water. True. Yeah. So the bagel, because it was boiled, technically, and this is this is the the thing that I will always I will always love about Judaism are the rules and the loopholes and just how <laughs> human everything is. The bagel uh, could technically be considered a noodle because oh. it was boiled before you but you baked it. So you did not need to do the ritual uh, cleaning before you uh, before you ate it on the road. Interesting. So the bagel the bagel was kind of the perfect travel food. Yeah. Yeah. It wow. um, and then also you know just boiling in general it makes it makes more sense. It it keeps it fresh longer. It's mm -hmm. tough. You know if you've had a ba bagels uh you know. They're best fresh, let's be honest, but they can yes. last a while. I mean, I do eat the, I freeze them and we'll eat them later on because I'm a heathen. <laughs> okay, yeah, you have to, first you have to imagine a world without freezers. World without freezers? <laughs> Ugh. I don't want to live in that. So the, With just so, salt? Yes. Ugh. Yes, no, everybody was salting a lot of things back then. <laughs> Um, That's true. But this is this is uh, sort of the amazing thing I think about uh, the stories of bagels and their, mm -hmm. you know, their their history that they're how far back they go. They're mentioned in the Talmud. Whoa! It's it's funny. Like as soon as you were talking about bagels being the travel food, I mean, I'm making a personal connection, but it was more or less because bagels are quite literally the food that. When my family and I would always go on vacation, oh, that's is. what we would buy. Oh yeah, no before before a road trip, you always go by the bagel store in the morning. Gotta have it. Like you get, do yes, yeah, that's yes, what you, you do. That's bagels. what you do. That's what you do. Oh, so good. Yeah, that's my favorite. I mean, as far as like, um, you know, other famous Jewish breads, you know, obviously then there's challah. Mm, yes, which you know. I, th I think th this is one of those things that, um, you know, it, it is definitely a, a very special bread. You eat it on holidays. You eat it uh, uh, for Shabbat. It's, mm -hmm. you know, obviously another very loved bread. It does seem to have a lot of other um, Eastern European, Middle Eastern equivalents, like an egg, a sweet egg bread does seem to be yeah. something that the Greeks were making, that a lot of the Eastern Europeans were making, some other Mediterranean cultures were making. So you can see mm -hmm. the influence there. When I was in Italy right before the uh, coronavirus shutdown, we had, uh, there, there was this group of other, uh, you know, Jews, we would get together and eat, um, eat dinner and stuff. Uh, and we, just a couple of us met up in uh, someone's, house for shabbat and i had felt kind of bad i wanted to contribute something i made challah in our kitchen and our kitchen mm -hmm. is not kosher and i knew some people that were coming tonight did keep kosher i i don't personally and i brought it and all they had was this uh th this challah that was frozen 
And mm. I show up with these two loaves of fresh challah, and they're like, okay, yeah, no, we're going with that. <laughs> and I was like, are you sure? It is not, it is not kosher. And they were like, let's go for it. We, we want the fresh, <laughs> the yeah, fresh for stuff. sure. So, oh, man. I mean, it is in the runnings for one of my favorite breads for French toast. And it's so good. It's so, it's good. so good for French you know, toast. You know, oh. you can really do so much with it. It is, it is a fantastic bread. It's a beautiful bread. It is not the mm-hmm. only Sabbath bread. Um, uh, Ethiopian Jews have uh, their own bread that they use um, that is quite different, but, you know, also very delicious and very good. I, w- one thing while I was in Israel was, you know, they, I don't know what they had their expectation to be for, for Americans, for our cooking and our eating palates. Mm-hmm. And I think this also, this, uh, to me, this speaks to how universal certain food combinations are. Yeah. This guy is like bringing us around to all these different restaurants in, um, in Jerusalem. And we go to this one place and he's like, there's this super special uh, dish that we're going to bring out for you. It is a Middle Eastern delicacy. Just, you know, you, you, you know, you guys as, as Americans, you need to really appreciate this, you know, like, mm-hmm. like it's going to be something that we've never seen before. And he brings it out and it's basically a loaf of bread filled with molten cheese. And it's like, do you know uh. <laughs> what, what we're about? Cause we are all about this. <laughs> yeah. That pizza hut literally does that constantly. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you know what I'm going to say? Huh. It's maybe better than, you know, uh, pizza hut, cheesy stuffed pizza crust. Most things are. Yes. yes. But you know, <laughs> I don't know. It was just in that moment. I was like, no, 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 no. We, we, we vibe with this. Yeah. Yeah, man. I mean, you know, you got to have that cheesy garlic bread. Mm-hmm. My Italian style. <laughs> that's how it goes. Cheese and, cheese and bread is always just going to be good. Oh, yeah. I feel like that's just a natural, you know, combination. Mm-hmm. It's delicious. I love it. Pizza. Just cheese pizza is great. No sauce this time. Um, yeah, it's uh, the, the, the idea. Th- these ideas do. It is always interesting to me seeing, you know, what is cross cultural and what springs up pretty independently. Uh, when I was in, when I was living in Montana, I was lucky enough to see uh, the chef Sean Sherman give a talk on his cookbook called The Sioux Chef, which is a cookbook of indigenous peoples. Uh, for indigenous to uh western what is now western united states uh what the culinary traditions were pre uh european colonization and it is it was an amazing talk i learned so much i bought his cookbook he signed it for me and i oh i love that i love this cookbook it was you know a very visibly painful talk for him to give mhm he was, uh, you know, it, it, he was so happy to be sharing and get given a pedestal to talk about his culture. But, you know, part of his presentation was, you know, talking about the changing landscape, quite literally, in the United States, where 
a lot of the uh, plants and, and animals used in traditional cooking just were wiped out by settlers and replaced with just different types of uh, food. And, you know, the increase in sugar in the diet, he attributed a lot of the health problems faced by uh, the Native Americans to this forced change in diet. Uh, have mm. you ever had an Indian taco? I have not, but I've heard of them. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, uh, it's, a, it's a tortilla piled with, you know, it, it's kind of like an open-faced taco, I guess. Okay. And he was talking about it as, you know, as something that is not traditional, is not traditionally Native American, and to him is kind of a very gross concept because it is, on one hand, he speaks of it as it speaks to the ingenuity of people making the most of a bad situation. But, um, you know, it is a lot of things that would not be in traditional Native American cooking, you know, with, with a diet that, you know, really didn't have dairy, it didn't have, you know, any added sugar that was a lot of just very different than yeah. what uh what the Europeans were bringing even and i i i think the the interesting thing is i definitely grew up learning about all the different types of corn cuz you would see it you know on like thanksgiving right. decorations and any sort of fall decorations and you know you'd see like indian corn and it was always mm -hmm. described to me as decorative corn that you don't eat it you know Right. And in reality, that is actually the type of the tougher corns would have been the types of corns cultivated specifically to grind up into flour. Yeah. And, you know, the softer corn, the, the sweet corn that we think of with corn on the cob, that would, you know, that is something that it was meant to be, you know, eaten as such, just cooked and eaten. Sure. Whereas the tougher corn needs that extra level of processing. But then, you know, you're making uh, tamales, uh, you're making uh, all sorts of what is what, what what's basically kind of not not quite, but almost uh, uh, just corn flour based bread mm -hmm. in that tradition. It, it's it was something that I, I just really didn't know about, that there was this whole tradition of bread making and baking that, uh, you know, really was. Un until recently was on the brink of disappearing entirely and you know is still at risk but yeah w with more and more interest in it there's ho there's hopefully you know some people that will carry on these traditions yeah for sure i mean i think that's also one of the interesting things too that i mean even for me before i didn't really think about is that grain isn't necessarily as, as i don't even think it is used at all in the americas right before pre-colonization um i mean there's 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 definitely stuff that well because like wheat and stuff yeah that that is that is sort of the an old world thing but it is still a grass and corn is yeah. also a type of grass that was right. domesticated yes yeah so that's why i find interesting too because it's like again it, it the the concept of making bread i think expands past the materials or ingredients used for it right yeah but that's what it's yeah because i heard the same story about like indian corn 
it's not edible and then one realizes that that's not how you eat it anyway yeah you know that it is it is meant to be grinded up and used as to make a, a base for and it's it's interesting too for me at least when looking at different cultural breads and flatbreads in particular yeah. that everybody kind of has their own rendition of it and does it differently yeah you know, I have, I mean, my culture has their own version of flatbread yours does as well and then, yeah i mean think about like like pita bread mm-hmm. is you know also this very ancient bread and you know is used in so many cultures i mean we think of it i think as a mediterranean greek type of bread in general yeah um it is very possibly the a similar bread to uh what is described in leviticus oh you know these these uh all all of this stuff just goes so far back and you know, the flatbread itself, you know, I'm, I'm glad you brought that up. Just how many different forms that takes. Mm-hmm. If you'll pass right through here, we have our library oh. of, we have a uh, flat file full of flatbreads. <laughs> oh, fun. Yes. So, you know, obviously you can, you can have, you can have it all in here. You can have your Ooh, like tortillas. That. You can have your focaccia. You can have your mm. corn cakes. Forgot about corn cakes. Yeah. Oh yeah, no. He made he made us some uh, uh, for oh. his uh, his book talk, Sean Sherman, and it mm-hmm. was amazing. Oh, jealous man. Yeah, so Ooh. good. Oh, I see. We have some naan in here too. Oh God, I love naan. Love it, love it so much. So good. You know, it was. Um, I made an attempt recently to make homemade tortillas. Oh yeah, that was my new thing. I wanted to do, except I wanted to use. Uh, what ingredients I have yeah. because I didn't feel like going out to shop. Mm-hmm. And so I made, you know, I had my flour and I was looking up like recipes and stuff. And I found one that used uh, oil inside the flour when you make your base instead of lard or the, I think it's like vegetable thicker. I forget yeah, the yeah. name, but like a huge chunk. And so I opted for olive oil because Mediterranean taste, why not? And I was like, we're just going to experiment. We're going to throw some stuff together. We're going to cook these things. Let's see what happens. So... I ended up making what was essentially pita bread <laughs> or like a flatbread because of just that those olive oil, salt, and flour. You accidentally made pita. <laughs> yeah. Well, because I had like a vision in my head of like, okay, this is what it's going to be and I'm going to round it out and it's going to be perfect. And this is the first time I'm attempting this. So, of course, it does not come out how you think it's going to. Overall, it was a success, but I made more like wraps. I think this is why, this is why when we were in Italy, we could not... The Italians seemed very incapable of making wraps and tortillas. It was the same. I had the same problem. Yeah. When it, I'm cooking it, it, it is, right it is something like every time we go to the grocery store or something, they have these things that is clearly flat, flexible dough. That is the and the picture on the cover would lead you to believe that this is meant to wrap around vegetables and your meat and whatever so you're like Mm -hmm. oh so it's like a tortilla and then you bring it home and you try to use it like a tortilla or (laughs) any sort of wrappable bread and it crumbles and it's like got multiple layers to it and you're just realizing like no one knows how to make tortillas here no not at all which is unfortunate yeah yeah it was the same exact problem and it was also i was making them for a, a taco night so yeah. I was like, oh, okay. Tasted fine. Yeah. I mean, it was more or less like a wrap. I mean, 
again, it is bread and salt and oil. I mean, it, it will it, taste good. There's only good. so bad yeah. it could taste. <laughs> yeah, true. I mean, speaking of ingenuity, like, you, you remember the movie A Quiet Place? Yeah. So, <laughs> I was, uh, I was on this road trip in Montana. We were driving out to a site where we were going to dig. And this, this goes back to the, the different types of corn. Mm-hmm. So we're, we're driving and um, we're, we're going out to, you know, we're, we're out in the middle of nowhere. Oh, wow. And we're driving around and we're talking about whatever, you know, to just keep yourself occupied. And we're like, what movies have you seen recently? And A Quiet Place had come out kind of recent and I'd seen it finally. And I mentioned it or whatever. And one of the guys, one of the paleontologists, started going off. And you know what he went off about? What was that? The corn. Oh? In a quiet place. He was from (laughs) Nebraska. Oh, I'm sorry. No, no. He was from Kansas. Oh, okay. And he was so mad that they got the type of corn wrong. Huh. That um, the corn that is growing in the field next to the farmhouse that they are sheltering in from the aliens is not is apparently not corn that is made for human consumption. He said it was feed corn. Oh, wow. And that they wouldn't be eating that. And I was like, well, and you know, me just like very put off by his passion about corn, you know, <laughs> as he is this, he is a, as, as he is a Midwesterner and is clearly very sure. passionate about this. And I foolishly say, well, maybe it was growing from when, be- from before the, uh, the apocalypse. And oh boy, right. was I wrong. Because he starts oh, going no. into the timeline of, the, of how long it must have been. He's like, they're this old, and then she's pregnant, so it means that at least a year has passed. And he's going through all the things. And he says, basically what he concluded was, that type of corn only grows like that through a growing season and uh-huh. then uh and then it dies or whatever. Okay. And so he was saying it was impossible for it to have regrown unless they had planted it since the aliens arrived. And I really didn't know how, where to go with the conversation from there. <laughs> that huh maybe they should have hired him on the movie. Clearly they did not have any corn experts. I guess not. You know, those details really do matter, though. Yeah, it's it's not Cause proper because you're gonna piss you're going. gonna piss off all the Midwesterners with their knowledge. <laughs> oh my god, I, I that's crazy. But like in such a good way. Yes. I wish I could be so knowledgeable about like grains and grasses and corns that exist in movies to then hyperanalyze <laughs> and fixate on. <laughs> oh god. Oh my gosh. You know what? Well, like okay. Scouting for things like that is so important, I feel like, to a certain extent. Because if you're lazy on it, you can really kind of screw up. Like, I was watching, I watched Midsommar again for some reason. Because I, mean, I why not? genuinely like it. I mean, I, it's a great movie. It's also a very disturbing movie, but I, I love Ari Aster, so it's just it's fantastic. But, mm-hmm. you know, it's, it's a movie that I feel like if scouted incorrectly, would have a lot of problems. Which, to be fair, I'm, I've never been to that part of Sweden uh, or where the film was shot in other places too, so I wouldn't necessarily know. But yeah, that is kind of crazy to think about for 
scouting locations and whatnot. I don't know how we got here from bread, but <laughs> this is the movie tales now, right? It's how, all how is, I, I bet there I bet the people in a quiet place are making their own bread and the people Ooh, the, yeah. the the cult in Midsummer are definitely making their own bread. But it's like definitely making got human hair in it or whatever. Mm, yeah. Probably. It's probably delicious though. Honestly, yeah, the food does look kind of good in that. Oh yeah. A lot of drinking. A lot of drinking in that movie. Yeah. Quiet Place is is a very interesting movie for the fact that you know almost the entire movie is in sign language. Yeah. I went on a rant recently about this because I I told my friend to watch uh or I I suggested that she watch the movie uh, A Silent Voice, which is a um Japanese animated movie that came out a bit ago and it's very very good and I like it very much. But it I'm I'm somebody that will watch my anime subbed or any shows that are in a native language subbed because yeah. I like to have the full experience of that. Mhm. And I guess I'm pretentious, but it's fine. (laughs) But for this movie specifically, I watched it dubbed because I knew that that one of the main characters in the movie was deaf. Yeah. And the actress voicing her was also deaf. Mm -hmm. And so there's some there's a scene that happens in which the the character is talking and it gets lost in translation and sub. But in the dubbed in English, it makes a lot more sense. Oh, and I, was, and I was just fascinated with that, too, just as a like inclusion. But it really has gotten me thinking, and this was the point of my rant that I was going on, was how come we weren't taught sign language? Because I feel like that's really important. <laughs> like, like, other languages aside, I feel like sign language itself should just be mandatory at this point. I mean, probably, yeah, it would be, it would be useful. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Imagine if you could sign someone in a car next to you. That'd be kind of cool. Yeah. Like you could tell that. somebody instead of honking at them, you could be like, hey, your gas cap is open. Yeah, exactly. It'd be like code. Yeah. You know, you need that different codes and stuff. Yeah. I don't know. I'm committed to trying to learn that now. Yeah. Hopefully I don't forget. But that's. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Here, I, oh, Joe. Also. Uh huh. Try yeah. this. Oh. It's disgusting. Ooh, yeah. It's full of sawdust. Yeah. So apparently, so this is interesting, and this has nothing to do with what you were talking about, but I wanted to bring this <laughs> up. Um, this is, uh, so this is bread fraud. Bread fraud? So in Roman times, uh, you know, breads had to, uh, you know, be stamped with the mark of the baker that made them. Huh. Yeah, and I mean, we do still have some of these breads left around. Some of them do get petrified. Ooh. and. Uh, Apparently, uh, bread fraud was a big problem because people would basically use filler in their bread. So, you know, you could get a mouthful of sawdust. So now, since this bread has the mark of the baker, we now know who's home to go burn down. (laughs) Yikes. I love, you know, you gotta love Roman law. I saw a thing that was always like that Romans were just extra about everything. Mm Mm-hmm. Because if you see some of these stories, it, it's quite literally true, including this. But yeah, Roman laws are a bit extreme. I'm not entirely sure X. where they fall. See, Rome is weird because it definitely falls somewhere in, somewhere in the spectrum between prep and nerd. But Ooh, I don't yeah. know where because it's definitely those two polarizing energies at the same time. Yeah, it really is, isn't it? Because yeah. I feel like everything, again, everything's extreme with a capital X, but then they're really into grammar. 
Well, it wouldn't have been an X. Did they have X in their alphabet? I think that was Greek. Ooh, okay. I don't know what extreme in Latin is, though. So, <laughs> you took you took Latin. What's extreme in Latin? <laughs> extreme? Uh, well, extreme is definitely a Greek word, I would think, yeah, because for sure. of the X. Um, I could be talking out of my ass right now. Um, <laughs> I don't know. I guess I guess they would just say big. Right? Yeah. Uh-huh. I didn't take Latin. Oh, I, I guess <laughs> I guess optimum. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, that sounds about right. Yeah. But yeah, like well, okay, isn't there like the thing too that people would also put sawdust in other products like still? Oh, yeah. I mean, it was, you know, it was the uh <laughs> I'm just imagining like, you know, like in those cop shows like where they like taste mm-hmm. the cocaine to see what it's cut with. <laughs> yeah. There's sawdust in this cocaine. <laughs> it's it was really yeah. obvious. <laughs> yeah, it's a different coloration. We were. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. Why That's... does this crack house also smell like a wood shop? <laughs> oh my gosh! Not nothing to see here. We're carpenters, but also drug hustlers on the side. I mean, you know, it's. I mean, I I do really love picturing like. Uh, a big wooden wood burning oven, you know, just like oh, in yeah. the center of some village or some town or whatever, like way back in the day. I mean, cause I mean, when we think of like those very rustic, like round breads, you mm-hmm. know, like, like a French country loaf or something like, yes, you know, like all that stuff, all that bread, like there was one big communal oven, like bread was such yeah. a community centric thing. You know, so you would take your, you know, it was like, it was like the, I don't know what the equivalent would even be like, like the laundromat, like you just show up mm. and once a week you show up with your dough and throw your bread in the communal oven and then you fish it back out. Yeah, it's, it's very interesting because it is a communal kind of thing and everybody has, because like I imagine everybody had different techniques and that's how we develop different cultural breads over time because somebody figured out how to do it a little bit better and they teach it and show and it just keeps changing right yeah because i mean because literally that's what happened with you and i because you showed me your technique of making bread i've never done it i was nervous constantly i started making and then i arrive home and i keep doing it and now i have my own kind of version of how i do that and you know i i changed up the recipe a little bit do Mm -hmm. my own kind of spice spice it up if whatnot but it is interesting because it does, you know, I don't know that having a, a large oven in the village that everybody can kind of share and see, oh, what kind of bread did they make or how are they shaping it? Or how's this one taste compared to that? Yeah, it's quite interesting. Mm-hmm. And I feel like it didn't necessarily go away, but like maybe the communal oven went away, but it has kind of still stayed the same. I don't know why I'm thinking of this, but like in Italy, I remember my uncle opening his restaurant was a big struggle because he wanted to open an Italian restaurant. But the problem is in Italy, when you're opening an Italian restaurant, everybody will criticize you. And the reason being is because everybody will compare it to their mother's cooking yeah. or their grandmother's cooking. And you will never have it the same, no matter what. So it's just a constant battle of who can have the better dish or who can have yeah. the better bread or dessert. And then he, you know, he immigrated to germany and opened it there because that's more or less a better business for it but i remember hearing that that was like one of the hardest things to open is an italian restaurant in italy 
It's so interesting. The Italians love food and they have such a very specific idea about it. Really like food. Yeah. And it's, everybody has an opinion on it too. But like, I don't know. I'm into it. I like that. I like to be a little pretentious. Well, I mean, I remember that. Um, that's, that's a big part of the story for, you know, like Chef Massimo, right? Like that mm-hmm. nobody wanted to try anything new. Yeah. And that he had such a hard time. You know, he didn't want to challenge the Italian kitchen. He wanted to right. do something new with it. Yeah. Well, because there's so much there, too, that can be innovative news. That's why I like Italian. I mean, I like Italian food because I was growing up on it. Yeah. And Mediterranean diet anyway. But mm-hmm. it's like there's already just so much there. Yeah. And there's a lot of variety, which is why I yeah. don't necessarily get tired of Italian food. And like I can find there's just so much to experiment within that. And mm-hmm. then I branch out into other things. But like. Mm-hmm. Man, I don't know. I feel like that was like always the one thing I always found kind of odd in Italy. Is there's not a lot of variation depending on what you're looking for. Yeah. If you find it, it will be really good. Mm-hmm. Middle Eastern food there is very, very good. Yeah, there's, there's a certain baseline that they seem to maintain. Well, it's also, too, everybody has, you know, everybody will criticize food and has expectations. Yeah. So it means you can't get away with bad food. Yeah. Whereas I feel like in the U.S. you could get away with bad food because it's, you know, quantity over quality. Well, if you have something convenient, you know, mm-hmm. it's, yeah. uh, it, it, it really is sometimes hard to compete with the quality of something. Because there's clearly people it's that true. want to, that want the quality. But, you yeah. know, it is hard to get around the the convenience of, you know... Dunkin' Donuts versus your (laughs) local donut shop. Exactly, exactly. It's definitely just nice to have the baker. Well, okay, yeah, let's use this as an example, too. Like, how you would bake your bread, but I would go buy it Mm -hmm. when we were living together. And I always always kind of found that fascinating, but I get it now. Mm -hmm. I didn't get it at the time, but I think I get it now. Because there is something about making your own... You know, you're making your own bread to mm-hmm. enjoy. It's something you put effort in. And I honestly, I think it always tastes better unless you didn't cook it. And it's like <laughs> doughy on the inside. Then maybe yeah, not, no, let's like, be honest. Bread can go very wrong, but it yes. is it is this ritual that you get to take part in. You know, when yeah. you make bread and this is not meant to talk down to people that buy bread or people that don't no, have no, no. time to make bread because it is time consuming. You oh, know? yeah. It is, it is a process that, you know, might not fit every lifestyle or, you know, everyone that has the leisure for it, you mm-hmm. know, and there, I'm, I'm definitely speaking from a point of privilege here, but when you make bread and you are partaking in that tradition and that culture and you are making something that, food that is literally alive, that is born and yeah. then dies in front of you, I mean, bread is so close to something it's kind of the closest to something mystical that you can come in contact with every day where you're doing you're doing something that your ancestors did very likely Mm -hmm. you are you know you know you could be using yeast that is a part of a culture that goes back for centuries you could potentially be touching all of these things it's all alive it's at your fingertips quite literally and you can just do that in your own home. Yeah. It's very special. Yeah, I mean, I think that's, I mean, one, because I'll always get hungry, but I always do like in religion <laughs> when they talk about bread. 
Mm-hmm. I mean, for you in your case, it's, yeah, you know, give us this day our daily bread, right? Yeah, very important. Yeah. I mean, I think church would be better if I could get a loaf of bread when <laughs> I went up, but I'll settle. I'll settle. It's fine. What am I saying? I haven't been to church in like 10 years, but you know. Uh, oh my gosh. Yeah, it is. It is a really special occurrence. It's something that I think is, if you if you get the time to do it, it's well worth it. Yeah. And it's, and it's well, but it's also something that takes, you know, practice and, and time and an investment. And for sure it is I think at this point it's coming from a place of privilege, right? Mm-hmm. Now actually having time to be able to do that as before it was probably just a norm or even going to the baker yeah. and having that happen. Yeah. But it's, yeah, I don't, for me it becomes like a calming thing to do, even though it can arguably be so stressful if you mess yeah. up. But like, I, I used to think it has to be so precise right like yeah. it's baking so everything has to be measured mm-hmm. and you know one cup and if you go a little bit over it's too much yeah and i i don't know i've messed up dough so many times at this point and it's still baked fine yeah and came out even better than i thought so mm-hmm. it's just something that i come back and realize all the time where it's like these mistakes will always just make it unique and you delicious it in its time. own way exactly and then oh i let it rise a little too much this time but it came out so much better so now i know for next time to let it keep rising yeah it is uh you know it's this beautiful meeting of science and art you know the Mm -hmm. there are definitely the reproducible scientific results the cultures of yeast the all the little precise measurements and stuff and the art of it that there is Mm. this there's danger to it you know yeah there's risk in making bread oh yeah i mean even just from like an aesthetics point of view too just like depending on how you put your cuts yeah decoration and other things really does go a long way it does i mean it doesn't doesn't a loaf of bread that looks good doesn't it just taste that much better always always uh-huh you know uh, if you if you have a good uh i mean because you know whenever i do get you know a good braid on my bread if i get mm. a really well-shaped bagel if i get like a really great you know scoring pattern on my loaves i it you know there's there's so much satisfaction to be gotten from that oh for sure totally in a way mm-hmm yeah especially in the case of bagels <laughs> also, yeah, literally in that yeah. case. Yeah, no, it is. Oh, now I'm hungry. Now I want to. I am very hungry. Actually, you know, I do have a pizza uh, on the way. A oh, dough being born into this world, and I do oh, want to fun. go eat it because yeah, I'm starving sure. and I didn't eat today really. What? Why did you eat? <laughs> You know what? I'm totally lying. I'm totally lying. I ate bagels this morning. <laughs> okay. But okay, I didn't eat lunch. Okay. Okay, all right. That's fair enough. Well, you have you have a uh uh pizza son being born. Mm-hmm. So, you know, yeah. it'll be good Bread to ingest. Well, I guess we should we should probably pay our bill here and we can yeah. we can wrap up our leftovers here. I'm going to just put this in this whole loaf of bread in my bag right here. Yes, for safekeeping. This, that's for you. Yeah. Mhm. Oh. That's going to be my snack home. Mm-hmm. It's ready to go. Ooh. Well, on that note. <laughs> <laughs> on that note, thank you for stopping again in the Uncanny County Museum. I've been Zan Peters. And I've been Joe Semino. 
and we'll see you next time at the Uncanny County Museum. Bye.